most worthy, worthy of praise, exalted above all things, my God, you are my God, your splendor and majesty, your
sing holy is the lord holy is the lord almighty seated on the throne he's seated on the throne of glory high and lifted up your presence fills the temple where we worship you oh you worship you
worship your name. We magnify your name, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Worship and honor you. Glorify you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that lives in us and for your presence here in this place today as we declare your name, as we honor your name, as we gather around the word of God fellowship with other like-minded believers. Thank you. Thank you for this, Lord. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. We give you the glory. Minister to each heart in this place today. Encouragement, direction, peace, strength, healing. For your word says the power of the Lord was present to heal. The power of the Lord is present to minister to our every need. Thank you for it. You are good. You are good, Lord. We worship you. We worship you. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Blessed be your name. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thanks be unto God, who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Ha, 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 ha. We rejoice in you, O Lord. Ha, 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 ha. We lift up our voices unto you, O Lord. Glory to God. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, we bless you. We bless you. We bless the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, yes. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have affliction. 
You will have trials and tests. Ha ha. But be of good cheer. For Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And we are in you. Hallelujah. And so therefore, no matter what is going on around us or about us, we rejoice. Hallelujah. We lift up our heads. Hallelujah. Ah. Oh, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Ah. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Ha ha. Glory to God. 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 We lift up our voices to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise stills the enemy and the avenger. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's sing that part. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Oh, nothing could stand against. What a powerful name it is. Jessica, don't we appreciate her? She is so, she is such a blessing. She helps us in so many areas at the church that nobody knows about, and she's, she's really special and precious. Anyway, I said, I'm going to have you 
I'm going to have you tell the news. And she said, oh, no, I want, why don't you tell it? I go, no, I want to embarrass you really good. <laughs> but hold up your hand. Hold up your left hand. Now, some of you may think, who is Jessica going to marry? Everyone look around and find the young man with the biggest smile on his face. Oh, there he is, John Baker. <laughs> Jessica Baker. Right? That's going to be the new name. Anyway, praise the Lord. We're happy for her. And we're happy for John. We're especially happy for John. We're still deciding if we're happy for Jessica. I always give the guys a hard time. But if I give you a hard time, it means I like you. You know, you feel safe. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, we have uh, our, our youth are up in Big Bear this morning. There are, we have 37 up there uh, at uh, Big Bear Camp, and they have a picture of uh, some of the youth. I asked them to, to throw it off or to throw it up there. So they, they did a little pose for you. I don't know if they gathered everybody, but anyway, that's some of them smiling real big. And so they're having a great time at uh, youth camp. It's always very important in the lives of these young people. Amen. Have time together, time together away with other believers and also just in the presence of God. Amen. I don't think they allow electronics. Right? We are all Hallelujah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Now, I've never done an announcement like this, nor has anyone in the 36 years of our church. This is new. I'm always for variety, right? But I like trivia. So, a few weeks ago, I'm going to show you a picture of, did they put it up there? Okay. Of something that was out in the park, or not in the park, but in our property right behind us there. Are you guys going to put that picture up for me? Do you know what picture I'm talking about? No. No. There. Look what we had out there. A little deer. Is that a doe or a buck? I didn't. I'm from Michigan. I used to know those things. What is it? Is it a doe? Yeah. Isn't that sweet? That's so sweet. Yeah. Anyway, so... California is a great place, isn't it? You know, other people like post all this stuff on social media about how where they live is so great. Hey, California is a great place. We're in southern Orange County and we have deer. Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, enough of that. Um, we want to remind you next Sunday, everybody say next Sunday. Next Sunday is Side Dish Sunday. We're going to have a picnic inside in the fellowship hall after the main service. Um, and we're going to have hot dogs and hamburgers. We just ask the families to bring a side dish and or dessert to share. We're going to have a nice time of fellowship together. And, and guys, Pastor Chip, of course, he's not here today. He's up at camp. But um, uh, he could use some help on the grill. I think he told me this a few weeks ago, and I forgot to announce it. So in, you can double check with him if he needs help with the grilling. We just need a couple of guys to help with that. And then uh, for kids, we have kids camp coming up. It's for ages 7 through 8th grade. Uh, it's going to be August 9th and 10th here at the church. Uh, parents seem to like that nowadays. They know where their children are. If they really, really, really want to see them, they could come to the church. 
or just enjoy the quiet time, but it's up to you. Parents are all different. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, register your child for that at foothillfamily.com. Uh, or there's a registration forms at the Kids Check-In Center for Kids Camp. We're going to have a, a great time. And then all this month, we're having a sale in our bookstore, 20% off, I think, is the books. And I forget how much Pastor Mike's stuff is off, but Anita can tell you. And um, this, uh, you know, I thought, I thought I would share this really briefly, this story. I, uh, the last few years of my life, I've realized... So many stories Pastor Mike and I have, and we never tell stories. Our children need to hear stories. Our grandchildren need to hear stories. And so I told this story to uh, one of the ladies' Bible studies that we had this last week. There is a purpose to this story. And so this was years ago. This was probably in 1982. It was 1982, and um, Pastor Mike and I uh, were traveling with Kenneth Hagan. And uh, he was having a crusade in Newark, New Jersey. It's just right outside of New York City. And um, the crusade was in a, um, an ice skating rink. And so they put on top of this ice skating rink like a kind of like an insulated something or other that was about that thick. Well, you're in Newark, New Jersey, so it didn't fit perfectly like it would have to in Orange County, California. So it'd be huge chunks of it missing. And so that ice would be coming up in there. And, you know, you have to watch where you're walking because you might step on that and trip. And then it was absolutely freezing in there. Um, we had a skeleton crew. We did not have uh, the Rama Singers traveling with us at that time. Uh, but instead, we had Donna Douglas. How many of you guys remember Donna Douglas? You know who she is? Ellie Mae Clampett. How many of you know Ellie Mae Clampett? Okay, well, yeah, everybody over 80 years old. Anyway, uh, she was on this old... Anyway, she was singing with us there that week. Okay, and so... Um, we had at that time a lot of the books, though older covers, and the books now that sell for little mini books that sell for $2, they were four for $1. You could get them on special at that time. So we would have all of these book tables set up, Brother Hagen's books all over these book tables. We were a skeleton crew, crew of people. Maybe there was, I don't know, six or eight of us. And, um, but the place seated about 2,000 people. And so at the end of the service, you know, Brother Hagin would minister and stuff, and before and after services, people would come and they would buy his books, right? This, and this is the point I'm getting to as far as what it was like. People wanted those books and the truth in those books so much. They'd never heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They'd never heard about healing. They'd never heard some of the things that we hear in church, they've ne they'd never heard it. They were denominational people. They were people, uh, you know, maybe they're just recently born again. They're Catholic people, just from all different backgrounds. And they heard this and they wanted, that's how I was when I first read some of Kenneth Hagin books. I read one of them and I go, oh my goodness, this is so good. This feeds, this answers so many questions for me. These people would come after the service and we would stand behind these tables against a wall. And they were probably three or four people deep against, probably there were six, six or eight tables. They pushed. They, were, they wanted those books. They'd pick up the book they wanted, and they would push those tables toward us. We would be 
the, the tables get closer and closer. And we would get backed up against the wall to where we couldn't go anywhere. And those tables were pushed against us. And they're holding their few dollar bills. Because in those days, it only took a few dollar bills. It didn't take much. And there was no credit cards. Are you kidding me? Did credit cards even exist? I don't know. And they were shaking that money at us, you know. Like, oh, we want these books. Here, here, here. Take my money. Take my money. And my whole point of that, my whole point of that, I remembered that. The hunger that was in the hearts of people for truth. The hunger that was in the hearts of people for the word of God, to know more about the Holy Spirit. Things that, you know, we can just look at and just so take for granted. They would come to two services a day, sometimes three services a day, all week long. They would do it on their vacation. Yes, they would take vacation time. And they wouldn't go somewhere. They would come to these meetings and sit there all week in those meetings to grow in God. Oh, may this return to the church. Oh, may this return to America and to our hearts. And so each of us can stir up our own hearts. Stir it up. 2 Timothy 1, 7. Oh, no, no, not 7. Oh, 1, 7 is... God has not given us a spirit of fear. Anyway, but it says stir up in, in Timothy in the first chapter, either one or two. Stir up the gift of God that is in you. Stir it up. And so I just exhort each of us to stir up the gift of God, to just make it a point to pray, to just make it a point to seek God, to just make it a point, oh, Lord, we want to see uh, many hearts hungry, for the gospel. It happens. It's happening in many places overseas, and it is happening some in America, but we're not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. Are you satisfied? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to receive our offering this morning, and um, the ushers are in their aisles. If you cannot find an envelope in the seat in front of you, you can find one there. You can also give electronically. Hallelujah. If you can't find one where you are, lift up your hand, and the ushers will give you one. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the world today and what you're doing in our lives. And we purpose to seek you more and more with all of our hearts. We purpose to be hungry for the word of God. We purpose to have ears that hear what you're saying to us through your word. We honor you today with our giving. As a symbol, Lord, we are all yours. We belong to you. Thank you that you that have begun a good work in us, you perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when you've been given the opportunity to give, why don't you join us for this last song?
bless your name. We exalt you as our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Father, we thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost this morning. We thank you, Father, for speaking to my mind those things which you would have me to say to the people. And Father, we thank you for opening the eyes of our spirits that we would see and know more than ever we've seen and known before who we are and who you are and the great love you have toward us. We magnify your name, Jesus. We magnify your name. Hallelujah. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. And shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all names, uh, hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Now we're going to read some more of this. Starting back in verse um, 32. But before we begin speaking on that. I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all when Jesus mentions the end of time. Uh, specifically he mentioned the end of the temple. And the temple we know from history was sacked and destroyed in um, 70 A.D. And Jesus is responding to their request, the request of the disciples. And the point I want you to see, Jesus is not hiding anything. He's not telling them that there are things that he can't share with them. He's not talking about how that God 
wants this to be such a secret that nobody will be able to figure it out. He's openly, clearly answering their question. He's not telling them that God has this secret plan and that he doesn't really want us to know when it's going to take place. Jesus is willing to answer their questions. Now in verse 32, Jesus is continuing to talk on the same subject. And he said, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is is nigh. So likewise you, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. When Jesus is telling them part of the revelation that they're seeking for, the things that they asked him about, he says the parable, or the thing to look at, is the fig tree, and the fig tree represents Israel. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, said it something like this. He said, behold the fig tree and the other trees. So he's talking about we'll be able to see some things through the actions and activities of nations and Israel as a nation. He's telling us things that he wants us to know. And he wants their questions answered. Verse 34, verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Jesus is apparently speaking of, and there were two different times when he's talking to him about the end. He wants them to know the time that he's coming. He wants them to identify with him the things that the Bible instructs us concerning the return of Jesus. So when he says, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled, he's talking about there are two different dates, two different events that took place. One was in 1948 when Israel became a nation again. And the other was in uh, 1960-something when the Seventh-day War took place and Jerusalem was recaptured by Israel. So when he's talking about these, this generation shall not pass away until all these things take place, he's saying the generation that sees those two things is the last one. The generation that saw Israel become a nation again in 1948 and the generation that saw Jerusalem brought back under Israeli rule so he says, heaven and earth shall not pass away, but my word shall not, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Verse 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So that all the, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now folks, the flood in Noah's day 
and the preservation of mankind and all the animals of the earth through the, the ark that was carried by the flood. When God is speaking of these things, he's telling them that it'll be a, a, an event that the fulfillment of Noah's ark shall be a mystery and be completely unexpected by much of the world. Now the ark is a type of the rapture because it's, it was, after it was built to God's specifications, it was the means whereby they rode on top of the destructive forces that were coming against the earth. And he, we know that to be true because of the next thing that he says. They knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There shall be two in the field. The one shall be taken and the other is left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. One shall be taken and the other left. Watch ye therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch this thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord has made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all of his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in the hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, that there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I have a question for you. If God is wanting his plans and his purposes for the church to be secret, and I'm talking specifically about the rapture of the church, if he's wanting them to not be known and understood by anybody, then how is that not a contradiction of the other things that the Bible tells us about the character and the nature of God. We have certain Bible doctrines. We have certain revelation. that is given to us where he is showing to his disciples and, and God doesn't care about his disciples in that day more than he cares about us. He's the same. He never changes. But all of our end time prophecy, all of the end time understanding we have is hijacked by verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, folks, all the 
to the entirety of the Old Testament where the Bible says that things that happened to Israel in the Old Testament were in samples or examples or things for us to understand. We know that God always deals with such precision and detail in fulfilling the prophecies that are hidden in the Old Testament. Why wouldn't God want the day or the hour to be known? Why would he, unlike in any other situation that we know of, every other situation, every other thing that the disciples asked God for, the only one thing that he ever refused to show them were things that had to do with another man's sin. God doesn't discuss your sin with other Christians. Not if they even think they have a right to know. So if God is wanting to keep this secret, keep the end or the coming of the Messiah for his church, if he wanted to keep that secret, then how did he change? At what point did he change? Jesus says things like, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Well, if we ask for revelation concerning the end time, then he should be interested and willing to give that to us too, shouldn't he? But of the day and the hour knoweth no man. Now folks, Israel was given different covenants or feasts, I should say, throughout the Old Testament and those feasts in every case in every situation was fulfilled by Jesus a part of what Jesus was sent to the earth to do was to reveal the Father and identify the coming kingdom it was coming in Jesus' day it has already come for us But why would this one thing be secret? Something so important as the rapture of the church. But God all of a sudden wants to keep that secret. He tells us by the Holy Ghost through Paul's writings. He tells us things that we can look for. Signs of the end. And so forth. So how is it that the God that we know cares enough about us and keeps his word toward us and answers our questions, even questions about the end of time and the coming of the Lord, but all of a sudden, now he changes character. He changes from being the God that will reveal to his people Something as important as his coming for the church, the rapture of the church. But of that day and the hour knoweth no man. The feasts of Israel represent or bring us into remembrance 
of God's delivering power for his people. And the things that he did, supernatural and even spectacularly miraculous. Those feasts of Israel were and are to be fulfilled in Jesus. Now there are seven feasts and the ones that were fulfilled by Jesus had to do with Jesus' substitutionary work and the victory that he obtained the first feast the first feast that Jesus fulfilled was the passover you remember the bible says Jesus is our passover lamb sacrifice for us Jesus taught the disciples at the last supper he showed them the elements of the passover meal and how they were related to the sacrificial work that he would do in offering his blood and his body. He also fulfilled the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So Jesus fulfilled the Passover, the Unleavened Bread Feast. He fulfilled the first fruits. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. He was the first to be born again because he laid down his life and he became sin for us. Not because of sin that he committed on his own, but he was made sin for the world. And in the last of the seven feasts that Jesus fulfilled through his work here on the earth, was the Feast of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 tells us about when the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. So those four feasts have been fulfilled by Jesus. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. But there are three more feasts that have not yet been fulfilled by Jesus. The first of those three remaining feasts is the Feast of Trumpets. The next that comes ten days later is the Day of Atonement. And finally the last one is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Bible tells us that Jesus will come back from the church at the sound of the trumpet. Now where it says again here in Matthew chapter 24 of that day and hour knoweth no man that has some specific meaning to the Jews. The Jewish feast or celebration is identified in a very unique way 
very different than any other ways of the Feast of Israel. The day and the hour that no man knows is identified by this Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets is not a day on the calendar. The Feast of Trumpets is not based on some ritual or ancient goings-on. It's specifically identified as the first appearance of the new moon. Now, the new moon doesn't show up on the same day of, of each year. It has no specific date that's associated with it. It's when Israel sees the first trace of the new moon. Now, Israel provided in the olden days, they provided for two people two witnesses that were well known to the rulers of the synagogues and they were left to identify or to see this new moon come into being. Now if it's cloudy they have an obstructed view. And so for that reason, it's happened this way many times throughout the years. It's happened such that cloud cover or some other inclement weather could keep them from seeing the first traces of the new moon and therefore prevent them from identifying and declaring it to the rulers of the temple. So when Jesus is saying no man knows the day or the hour, he's referring not to the ignorance or the desired work of the Holy Spirit to keep us in the dark about something. Jesus is connecting his coming with the Feast of Trumpets. Now the Feast of Trumpets falls on this year, falls on or around September 26th. The Day of Atonement would be about 10 days after that. But then there's something else that I find interesting about these last feasts to be fulfilled. And that is, and the Bible tells us, gives us instruction about the process of declaring the new moon. First, the new moon has 
identified by the two witnesses. Then the Bible tells us that the Day of Atonement takes place on behalf of the people of Israel. But then after those things take place, after the new moon is sighted, after the Day of Atonement ritual is carried out, then finally the last thing that is done is the presentation of the day of jubilee. Now folks, the next, next jubilee that appears is somewhere around October the 5th. And that day of jubilee is the 70th time that the Jubilee has come into being. Now everything about God is identified in numbers for the examples and things to be made and presented. And so you get seven as the divine number of God multiplied by ten which whenever the, the number 10 is used concerning Bible application or prophecy, that number 10 is a divine multiplier. And it usually shows, well, it always shows, that when it's used, it's a work of God that brings into being Tremendous blessing according to the will of God the Father. So folks, we are in a situation where we're several months away from that that Jesus said would be associated with his coming for the church, the rapture of the church. Now I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul said, beginning in verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede those which are asleep. For the Lord shall descend from heaven, Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then, which, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And verse 16, it says the Lord will, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. This word trump in verse 16 is used 11 times in the New Testament. 
11 times, only 11 times it's used. Now, one of the times it's used is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. Notice it uses trump and trumpet both in this verse. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Of the 11 times that the word uh, translated trump in First Thess- First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, in every other place, it's identified as the word trumpet. Here in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, it's talking about trumps and trumpets. In every other place that it's used, nine out of the 11 times, it's translated trumpets for itself. So when Jesus is saying that that no man shall know that hour, he's not saying that he wants us to be in the dark about when it's going to take place. He's not saying that God wants to keep this such a secret so that our end time belief or expectation is inaccurate. He's saying this is the part of the year that he's coming back. Now, there's nothing in the scripture that identifies what year these things will take place. And because of the combination of the Roman calendar, which we know of as our own today, and the Jewish calendar, which is God's sacred calendar, When you put those two things together, it leaves some room for doubt or for misinterpretation. But the misinterpretation is not on God's end. It's a question for how do we mesh God's sacred calendar for Israel concerning the feasts of Israel? How do we Reconcile that with the Jewish calendar, which you know as well as I do, of all the years that it has been since 70 AD to our present time, all these things have not been kept up. Because there's no temple to originate the works to be done. Now I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke carries the same information that Matthew does. But there's a part of this that I want you to see. Luke chapter 21 verse 29. And he spoke to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. This is the same thing that he told his disciples in Matthew 24. So he says, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. 
That's the nation of Israel and the other nations of the world in their interaction with Israel. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own self that summer is now at hand. So likewise you, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and so that day comes upon you unawares. Notice he tells us what one of the greatest how do I say this? The thing that causes many people to miss out on God's sacred calendar are the cares of this life and other things that they get carried up in or carried away with. He said, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day comes upon you unaware. Well, he doesn't want that day to be upon us unawares, does he? He doesn't want us to be unclear of the times that we're living in and the things that he's doing. And he tells us one of the greatest distractions, that's what this word cares mean, means distraction. One of the greatest distractions are the things that are taking place around us, the things that we're involved in. We see things that are taking place in the nation of Israel and with other nations. We're obviously more concerned about the things that are taking place in our nation than any other thing. And it's easy for us to get carried away and distracted by the myriad of evil and nonsensical things that are being done by our government against us. I think it's appropriate for us to be aware of what's going on in the world around us. And Jesus says that when he talks about behold the fig tree and the other trees. He doesn't want us to be in the dark about what's going to happen, what is happening or what's going to happen. But there's a real fine line that we have to take care not to cross, I believe. It's easy to, to try to look for politics to be our answer to the terrible things that are taking place in, in our own country and in the world around us. The folks, politics is not the answer for the world. Jesus is. Politics is not the answer for the church. Jesus is. That doesn't mean we shouldn't stay informed. I think we should. That doesn't mean we shouldn't overlook 
evil that's taking place in our country, no matter what they call it. That doesn't mean we should just roll over and play dead and just accept whatever the government around us is doing. I believe with all of our heart, all of my heart, that the church would do itself a favor by presenting leaders to take a stand in our country against the work of the devil that's being done by idiots. I wish that was an an exaggeration. The folks our country is working against us on purpose, purposefully, to hurt us, to destroy the economy, to take over your health. to require of you to be vaccinated with things that don't stop the sickness that the vaccination is supposed to cure. I think one of the greatest and most obvious works of the enemy here in this last days is this requirement for children to be vaccinated with a vaccine that has been identified, clearly shown to have health issues and problems and bring about unhealthy results for our children. So he tells them to watch out. Be aware of the things that are going on around us. Take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that that day come come upon you unawares. For as a snare it shall come on all them that dwell upon the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and stand before the Son of Man." How do we stay ready? He said, watch and pray. How do we keep these cares of this world from overcharging us or turning us away from the things of God and his promises? He said, watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. He said, watch and pray that you may be counted worthy of the rapture. Watch and pray that you may be counted worthy of God's plan of escape for you and the rest of the church. Now, it's not the watching and the praying that makes you worthy. The blood of Jesus made you worthy. But there is a watching and a praying that helps keep us on target and on track 
with the plans and the purposes of God. We know that the Bible tells us to pray for the rain in the last days. James said that Jesus is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. The moving of the Holy Ghost, there is a moving of the Holy Ghost. There is a wave of the Spirit that is coming upon the church in these last days to preach the gospel for a witness. That means with signs and evidence. He's telling us that there will be a wave of the Holy Ghost power that comes upon the church for it to be a glorious church in these last days. So watch and pray so that we can use these last days, months, years, whatever we have left to sweep in multitudes into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, Look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Folks, our answer, the answer for the church, the answer for the people of God, the answer to reach the unsaved comes from heaven. So when Jesus said, when Jesus said, no man knows the hour, he's not saying that we are to be completely in the dark. He's saying for us to understand his calendar. It wouldn't be appropriate, it wouldn't be right, it wouldn't be anything that anybody that knows God would claim. For example, the idea that the three remaining feasts will not be fulfilled by Jesus because they count just as much for our examples as the ones that he's already fulfilled. So what do we do? We've had people leave the church because I'm talking too much about the end times. We've had people leave the church because of the politics that we have spoken of. The rapture is going to be either something of great joy 
for us to talk about, meditate on, consider, or it's going to be a point of contention because not every Christian wants to think about being caught up into heaven. Now I understand, especially with young people, there are things that they want to do, things they want to experience in these last days of the church. But folks, when we consider the absolute inability for this world to provide that which produces joy unspeakable and full of glory, I think we can get away with saying that the poorest, the weakest, the most obscure part of being with Jesus in heaven for eternity is light years beyond the benefit that this world can provide. Jesus is coming back, folks. I know the church has been preaching that Jesus is coming back for hundreds of years, thousands of years, 2,000 years at least. And it was pretty obvious from the things that we read in the New Testament that the apostles thought that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. Folks, we are at the very end, the back of the book. For God to show himself strong on behalf of his people. Could Jesus come back on the Feast of Trumpets this year? Well, there's nothing in the Bible left to accomplish that would say that he couldn't. Could the Feast of Trumpets be the example that God set for us long before the church was ever spoken of, long before provisions were made? Well, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that he couldn't. The world is turned so upside down. And there's so many insane things that are being adopted into policy by our government and the administration that runs it. Things are lining up in supernatural and miraculous ways. There's got to be a reason for this. There's got to be some underlying purpose 
for why things are happening the way they are. Five years ago, just five years ago, there's not a one of us that would have accepted what we see now as commonplace in the political and governmental scene of our country. Men and women in leadership are so blatant in their lies, so willing to allow violence and social unrest to go on against the people of our country. There's got to be a reason why these things are happening now why these things are accelerating there's got to be a reason and it's not just the church that's seeing it people outside the body of Christ are seeing it happen too and the good news is if there is any good news with the things that are happening in the government of our country the good news is that those people that are seeing these things happen that are not part of our church family they're not a part of the family of God it's making them open it's opening their hearts and I believe that these things are going to continue until multitudes, millions of unsaved people come to realize that God is the only answer for them. The early and the latter rain that brings about the precious fruit of the earth doesn't have to last long. It's not necessarily a 10-year period or 7-year period or anything like that. It may be just a short months or weeks where the, here, the healing power of God and the miracle working power of God is seen and known to such a degree that it sweeps in multitudes of people into the kingdom of God and then Jesus comes to take us home. So, Lord, send the rain. Send the rain to bring in the, the unsaved. Send the rain to heal the sick in such a manner that the world has never seen before. Send the rain to open the hearts of unsaved, millions of unsaved people that they may see that the answer is not in mankind but that the answer the only answer there is is in Jesus Christ our Lord so Father we ask you for the rain 
You said if we would ask you, you would send bright clouds, a display of your power, and a manifestation of your presence. And that rain would bring a multitude of people into the kingdom of God. Father, we don't ask you to make us smarter so that we could start some program to reach the lost. You reach the lost. You bring them in. And you show yourself strong on their behalf. Send the rain, Lord. We see Jesus soon approach. He's standing ready to come get us. But Lord, we don't want to go up empty-handed. We want to take the heathen nations with us. Send the rain. Send the rain. Let's all stand. The miraculous nature of the rapture of the church is sometimes hard to fathom. Let's open our hearts to the Lord for just a moment before we go. Let's settle ourselves. And set our hearts to looking forward to Jesus coming back. Father, make our hearts ready. Whatever we might have holding us back, some attachment that we have to the earth or anything that's here on the earth, Lord, I ask for you to prepare our hearts to see Jesus so that it becomes a matter of joy. We turn loose of the cares of this life. And we ask you, Father, to make our hearts right. Bring to us a desire a desire for the work of God to be accomplished, the will of God to be done. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on things that are right, things that are pure, things that you have ordained for us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, Jesus is coming. And nothing will hold him back. Let us, by watching and praying, keep our hearts open to God's plan and purpose. In Jesus' name. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And Jesus is coming back for his glorious church. Amen. God bless you, folks.